All right. Good morning, Journey. Hey, it's an incredible day, and uh, hey, I don't know about you, but we are looking forward to Easter here uh, as a church staff. It's something we've been working on for over a year. So last Easter, we were strictly online, but we figured at this point we'd be back in person. So we literally have been planning to celebrate Easter with you in 2021 for an entire year. So whether that be with you online or whether that be you here in the room, we want you to go ahead and make plans to be here and have somebody here with you. We think that God has something in store, not just for you guys, but for uh, anyone in the River Region, and we're excited to celebrate that with them. But hey, we do not want to miss what God wants to say to us today, right? It's Palm Sunday. It's today where, as the church, we uh, remember and celebrate Jesus entering the city of Jerusalem as he began his quest toward the cross and then ultimately the empty tomb. So as we look at that today, I want you to know that every family has one. Every family has one. And it doesn't matter the size of your family or the scope or the background of your family. Every single family has one. And some families are blessed with more than one. They have multiples of these. And it's the person who asks questions the whole time you're trying to watch a movie. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Y'all have one of those in your life, right? You may be sitting next to them right now, but but it goes something like this. You start the movie, and they generally will let you get a few beats in, right? You may be five minutes in before they start asking questions to you as if you wrote and produced the movie. And you're like, I don't, I don't know. Like, hey, why did they name that character that? Yeah, I really don't know. Hey, what's going to happen next? I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't really know what's going to happen next. Hey, why do you think he did that? And eventually you just go, I don't know. I'm just watching the movie with you. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. We're going to find out together. But look, it doesn't end there, does it? They, they don't just ask questions during movies. They ask questions all throughout life. If they're a movie question asker, they're going to hit you at any moment. They're curious. They want to know about anything. And we give them names to make them feel better. We go, you're an inquisitive little person, right? And you ask lots of questions. But in truth, it's probably driving us insane. And I want you to know that I'm one of those people. That's me. I'm an inquisitive person is what my mom told me. You ask a lot of questions and she would make me feel bad about it, but she hated being in the car longer than 10 minutes with me because it was one question after another, after another, after another. And now I am raising a question asker. Like it is something you pass on and it's unbearable to watch TV with her. It's almost impossible. She asks questions the entire time and my lovely wife, Erica, generally just pulls out her phone and, and gets through the moment with the rest of us. But I want you guys to know this. Questions aren't bad. Questions are not bad. In fact, questions spark curiosity. They're, they're like, hey, I wonder how that works. And they've led to inventions and, and questions have led to social change. And it's led to innovation. And questions are what have pushed us forward as a society. And I want to encourage you to ask more questions. So as you sit through a service on a Sunday morning, I want you to ask God to ask you questions. And I want you to ask questions as you're reading the Bible. Ask questions. Why did he say that? Why did Jesus perform that miracle and not something else? Why did he go to that town and not that one? Why is it that he chose to speak specifically to that person? And what is it that I can learn from that? Questions are a good thing. And so with that in mind, I want us to look into the passage that, that tells us about Palm Sunday in the book of Luke. And then I think this passage has a several or several questions that it wants to ask of us this morning. And so we're going to address those questions and see what God has to say to us today. So here's the passage. 
in Luke, it says this, after telling this story, Jesus went on toward Jerusalem, walking ahead of his disciples. As he came to the towns of Bethphage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives, he sent two disciples ahead. Go into the village over there, he told them. As you enter it, you will see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks, why are you untying that coat? Just say, the Lord needs it. So they went and they found the coat just as Jesus had said. And sure enough, as they were untying it, the owners asked them, why are you untying that coat? And the disciples simply replied, the Lord needs it. And so they brought the coat to Jesus and they threw their garments over it for him to ride on. And as he rode along, the crowd spread out their garments on the road ahead of him. And when he reached the place where the road started down the Mount of Olives, all of his followers began to shout and sing as they walked along, praising God for all the wonderful miracles that they had seen. Blessings on the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. But some of the Pharisees among the crowd said, Teacher, rebuke your followers for saying things like that. And he replied, If they keep quiet, the stones along the road would burst in to cheers. And so a few things. I want to see exactly what's happening here. And then I want to allow God to look into us and say a few things to us. But really what's occurring is Jesus is entering the city of Jerusalem. He knows that he is going eventually to sacrifice his life, but no one else does. And a spontaneous worship service breaks out. And so these people are praising him. They're shouting. They've laid their garments on the colt. They've laid them on the ground. It literally is an entrance for a king. And so these people are ushering Jesus in as their king, and they're worshiping him. They're praising him. In fact, they use the word praise in the passage. And the word praise, especially in the Old Testament of our Bibles, occurs over and over again. So as you read, especially the book of Psalms, you will see the word praise over and over and over and over again. But that word actually comes from several different words. So the Bible was originally written in Hebrew and in Greek. And in Hebrew, the word praise in Hebrew is actually seven different words that we just translate into one. And so it's used in a lot of different contexts in a lot of different ways. And so they literally are living out their praise, what they've learned from their Bible right in front of us today. And so there are a few things, at least four ways that that word is used here in our passage that marks the uh, that marks the worship service that is going on. And if you're taking notes, jot this down. Worship is simply our expression of love to God. That's what they're doing. They're simply showing their love to God. They're expressing their love for Him. Uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the book by Dr. Gary Smalley, The Five Love Languages. If you are, just go ahead and admit to it. Right, It will make your life and your marriage better. Uh, Dr. Smalley lays out in there that there are different ways that people experience love. So if you want someone to know that you love them, then there's a certain way that you need to say it so that they understand what you're getting at, right? It's a language. It's something that they understand. And you generally do not have the same love language as your spouse, the person that you're with. And so you'll be doing things, at least it worked this way in our life, you'll be doing things to show your spouse you love them, but they don't seem to get it. Right. And you're like, man, I'm doing all this stuff to show you I love you and that I care for you. And they're going, yeah, that that really doesn't matter to me. Right. It doesn't matter to me. You wash the dishes. You live here and you messed them up. So you should you should wash the dishes. Right. That doesn't mean anything to me. And so my wife and I went through this early on in marriage and we began to apply it a little later and just see how it lived out in our lives. And we discovered our different love languages. And so my wife's is 
Uh, quality time is second on hers, I believe, if I'm getting this right. She just likes being together. And when we're together, she don't want me to have my phone in my hand doing work, right? She just wants me to be with her, to spend time with her. That can be at home. That could be shopping and buying a thousand pieces of Radon. Or that could be just going on a trip together, whatever it is. That we're just spending quality time together. That we're together and I'm actually there. My mind isn't off somewhere else. That's her second one. Her first one, there's a big gap between those. Her first one is is uh, gifts. She she likes gifts. She wants you to give her things. And then it's a matter of I just want a bunch of stuff. It's I just want to know that you were thinking about me. And so throughout the day, if you see something and I think of her, I'll try to buy it. And it, it could be a coffee or a Gatorade. Or at one point it was a boat. Like, big mistake. Don't don't ever do that, right? It's just like, hey, I was thinking about you. And so I, I got you something. Well, several years ago, she told me, she goes, hey, I, I think that maybe my love languages have changed and that maybe acts of service is working its way all the way up to the top. And I was like, okay, all right, we'll try that out for a little while. So for about two days, I did acts of service around the house, things that I thought were acts of service anyway. One night we're sitting on the couch. She goes, hey, um, <clears throat> that acts of service thing, yeah, that's totally not it. It is by far, it's still gifts, right? It's still gifts. And so if I want to show her, don't miss this, if I want my wife to know I love her, then I speak to her in a language that she understands. If we want God to know that we love him, then we speak in a language that he understands. And God has clearly laid out in Scripture that we tell him we love him by worship. That's his love language. And so we worship to show our love to God. And that's what's occurring right now. That's what's happening. These group of people or this group of people is declaring their love and their allegiance to God. And they don't know it, but they're actually declaring their love and allegiance to the very one who created them, and we see praise enacted all throughout this brief worship service. And there's a few things that characterize it. And the first one is this. This worship service involved a physical reaction. There's literally something physical going on. As we read the passage, they were not standing perfectly still in some sort of somber circumstance, but they were physically reacting to the fact that Jesus was in their presence and he was entering the city of Jerusalem. Now, we see a few things occurring. They, they're throwing their coats on the back of the colt, and then they're throwing them on the ground again so dust doesn't come up. And again, it's a sign of royalty. And they're saying, hey, a king is coming into our city. But there's a physical reaction taking place. The, the Hebrew word, the way it's laid out in the Old Testament, is this. It's yada, and it means this. It means to acknowledge someone with extended hand. Right? We, we do this in America all the time. Right? We wave to people. You acknowledge someone with an extended hand or to worship with extended hands. We see it played out this way uh, in the book of Psalms. In this passage, it says, it says this in Psalms verse 9. Got it. It says, I will praise you, Lord, with all my heart. I will tell of all the marvelous things you have done. This word right here is, is yada. I will praise. In other words, I will lift hands. To you, Lord, and with my voice, I will tell of all that you have done. You probably just saw it in the room as we were finishing up our worship set. You may have looked around. You may have saw someone with their hand in the air, right? They may have had their hand risen. You may have saw someone who's super brave. They may have both hands in the air. You could have saw someone who knew you were looking at them, right? And they may have just had their hands here and they were worshiping. But there's a physical reaction taking place. We still live it out today, and there's simply a few things that, that occur in right there. You're saying, absolutely, I know him. Yeah, I know him. Yeah, I agree with what we're singing 
and what we're saying, I know him. It's a public display of recognizing who Jesus is. And so we raise our hand and we say, I know him. It's also a great way to ask a question or to invite an answer, isn't it? Hey, I don't know. God, right now, I just want you to speak to me. I hear what we're singing. There's an emotional moment taking place. Lord, would you speak to me? But there's a physical reaction that accompanies worship. Sometimes it's just a matter of reaching up and saying, Lord, help. I just want you to help me in the moment of worship. Maybe everything that you're dealing with in life all of a sudden comes to the forefront and you're going, I can't deal with this myself. I can't fix my marriage. I can't fix my finances. I can't fix my job. I can't fix my children or my family. And we simply say, Lord, I just simply need you to help. It's amazing how our physical reactions apply strictly to what God is saying to us, right? It's just, it's a normal reaction for us to raise our hands. This is why even in secular music, you see when music starts to move someone, their hands automatically get involved, right? Some of you guys did that early on in our worship service. You were, you were clapping your hands, right? There's a physical reaction taking place. Maybe you're like me and you can't clap on beat, right? And so you choose not to torture the people around you. Just a little inside information. If you see me clapping, that means I'm not singing. If you see me singing, that means I'm not clapping because the two things cannot happen at the same time for me. They just, they don't occur. But it's, a, there's a reaction automatically that takes place when we worship. It's ingrained inside of us. And so they knew that. The psalmist knew that. And it was a part of the worship service that was taking place as Jesus entered the city of Jerusalem. Physically, there is a reaction that is taking place. Also, it involves shouting. Now, this might make you super uncomfortable. When I was backstage just a second ago getting ready to come out, I heard some people shouting at the end of one or two of our songs, and it automatically took me back to growing up. And I grew up in a church where that did not take place ever at all, that if someone said amen, every hand in the, every head in the room turned, right? You're scared. Like, you didn't know what was going on. I was just like, wait, somebody spoke out loud. I didn't know you could do that. Is that something? Is that possible? All right? And so that, that was a normal part of worship. It was a normal part of worship for the Hebrews. It was a response. In fact, the word that they used for it was this, is Shabbat, and it means to address in a loud tone to shout. Literally to shout, to address in a loud tone. Now, some of you guys address your children in a loud tone on the way here, but you're really quiet when you got into worship, right? You were Shabbatting your kids, but you certainly weren't doing it when you got in here. We do it at sporting events, don't we? I love sports. Absolutely Love sports. Played them growing up. Enjoy watching them. I have a bracket where I'm beating everybody on staff right now for the basketball tournament. There's a little bit of pride coming out, but I just felt like you guys need to know that. Right? I love it. Like, I like sports, and I like to get involved in the game that I'm watching. To me, it's not just a matter of, hey, I'm going to watch this because I don't have anything else to do. If there is a game on, I choose someone to pull for automatically. I want to get involved in it, and I want to get loud at times when I'm watching the game, especially if it's my favorite team. Now, I don't know about you guys, but my family has a favorite college here in the state of Alabama, and we have a college that we don't like, right? We hope they lose every game that they play. And I know some of you guys are fake fans. You say, hey, I only pull against them when my team is playing them. Now, that's, that's not a real fan. A real fan hopes they lose every time they play the game. So that, that's my family. That's the way, that's the way we operate, the way that we live. And we, we get a little shabak if you will, when we're watching football. 
it, it gets a little loud at our house. And so if you get invited to watch a game with us, we trust that you're never going to tell anybody what you experienced at our house. That that's just something that stays between us. But it gets loud, and that's common in our neck of the woods, isn't it? People get loud when they're watching a game. I literally remember growing up somewhere around the age of eight or nine and watching my dad jump over a piece of living room furniture when Alabama beat Tennessee. Like I saw it and then it was just chaos, really bad, but no furniture got jumped for years after that. Really bad experience, right? But we have those reactions. And so my inquisitive mind, even as a kid, would go, why is it that we act that way at a sporting event, but we can't seem to get excited about worship? That there's, there's just some kind of, we can worship the people on the field, but we can't worship something that matters for eternity. That there, there should be a little bit of excitement, and it's okay for it to be loud. It's okay for it to be loud. Oftentimes we hear, as staff members here at Journey, people will tell us, they go, hey, worship was kind of loud. And we go, yeah, it was, wasn't it? Yeah, (laughs) it's supposed to be. We want it to be. We want to worship loud. We want this to be a part of our worship. Now, we don't want uncontrolled chaos by any means, but we think that God deserves at least what we're able to give a college football team, that it should be a little loud, that we should... We should know that the people around us should know that we're, we're addressing and we're celebrating what God has done. So Shabbat, it goes this way in the Old Testament. He says, come everyone, clap your hands. So again, there's some physical reaction. Shout, that's Shabbat, shout to God with joyful praise. That That's what we're going to do. We're actually going to involve our voice. And third thing ties into it, it also involves singing. So in the passage we just read, they were shouting praise. They were throwing their coats on the ground. And then it says, literally, they were singing. That they were singing praise to God. Singing is an action that is involved in worship. And in the Old Testament, the word for it is talia. And it means to sing. Don't miss this last part. You see it? To sing exuberantly. To sing exuberantly. Now, I want you to notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say to sing exuberantly on key. Right? I'm going to free some of you guys. It doesn't say to sing exuberantly the right words, right? We all hear you when you sing the wrong words in the middle of a worship song. We just choose not to notice it. That's not, that's not what it says. It's just to sing exuberantly. In other words, there is something going on inside of you and in your soul that leads you to be excited and to sing in an exuberant manner. That there's an excitement about it. That it's not this. That it's not this. That it's not this, that you're actually engaged in what is going on, that you're exuberantly singing. Now, here's the way this plays out for us. We're going we're gonna to move quickly through this, but we all have our jams, right? You got a jam. You got something that comes on the radio, and your kids normally look at you, and they roll their eyes, and they go, please don't. Like, please don't. Some of you guys can hear a certain beat you hear, doom, 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 and it's over. Right? It is over for you. You're like, oh, here we go. It's going down. Or all of a sudden some MC Hammer comes on. Or, or maybe you're more like a Chris Stapleton guy and you hear the first few chords of something like Tennessee whiskey and you're like, oh, and everybody in the car is going, please do not. Do not torture us. But we come to worship and we go, right? Like it doesn't matter. And again, we have this reverse. That there should be an excitement when we step into worship, and in fact, part of praise and part of worship, every part of every worship service should be this. It's that we're singing exuberantly. Here's the way that it goes in the Old Testament. It says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise, his exuberant singing 
shall continually be in my mouth. And so the service, the worship service that Jesus is walking through, it included exuberant singing. And then finally this, it involved celebrating. It involved celebrating. that it wasn't just a, a humble worship service, but it was a celebrating of what they had seen Jesus do and what they had heard him teach. And the word for this is the word halil. And it means to boast. In other words, we're bragging on who God is and what he's done and what he's accomplished. And so we boast or we rave or we celebrate. We boast, we rave, or we celebrate. It's actually where we get the word hallelujah from. We get the word hallelujah from here. So if you ever say the word hallelujah or you hear someone say the word hallelujah in a worship service, what they're saying is I'm celebrating, I'm boasting, I'm raving about what God has done in my life. Here's the way it plays out in the book of Psalms. It says, The poor will eat and be satisfied. In other words, a need has been met. And all who seek the Lord will praise Him. They will halil Him. They will boast of Him. In other words, He's done this, and I'm going to praise Him for it. I'm going to boast on the goodness of the Lord. Their hearts will rejoice with an everlasting joy. And so that is the worship service. Don't miss it. When we read the passage, a lot of times, if we've been in church for a long time, we just read it and we go, okay, Jesus is entering into the city and there's some people that are trying to make him king and so they're throwing things on the ground and then stuff's going to happen after that. Don't miss exactly what was happening. It was a worship service that Jesus was experiencing. He's literally going through a worship procession. It is loud. People are shouting. They're praising him. They're honoring him for the things that he has done. It is much like what we try to design here on a Sunday morning. It's an exciting time, and it's an impactful time for anybody who was a part of it. And so a few questions as we wrap up this morning. That's what's occurring. And I think as we read the passage, there's a few questions that God would ask of us today so that we can apply this to our life. And the first one is this, is what have I seen God do that should lead me to worship? What, what have you seen God do that should lead you to worship? What has he done specifically in your life? Has he restored your marriage? Has he given you everlasting life? Do you have a family that you love and that you get to be a part of? Do you have a place to live? Do you have food to eat on a regular basis? Is there a miracle that he's performed in your life? Maybe something doctors told you that you would never get over, but now people would say you're a walking miracle. What's the case? What has God done in your life that is worthy of praise? These were not blind praises. These are people who had seen what Jesus had done. In fact, most scholars think that many of them were from Lazarus' hometown and that they generally, Jesus had just passed through there, and now they're walking. These are people who at one point had seen Jesus literally raise a dead man back to life, and so they're praising him not blindly but with facts, that I know this is what God has done in my life, and he's proven himself to be true. And in fact, he's proven himself to be true even here in the passage. Look at what's happening. What he has said is true right here in the passage, that Jesus riding into the city on the back of a colt is actually a prophecy that is several thousand years old that is now coming true. And so something that God has said thousands of years ago is now being proven correct. But I want to ask you this. What has God said about you that's true? Certainly his prophecy is true. Certainly we can look to the things that he's done. But what specifically has he said about you? If you have surrendered 
your life to God and you're a child of God, there's a few things that we know are certain about you. The Bible tells us that you're created in the image of God. The Bible tells us that he knit you together in your mother's womb, that who you are is not an accident, that the quirkiness about you, maybe the fact that you love to ask questions, that that's something that God himself created. The Bible tells us that you're a child of God, that you're part of his family. It says that you've been forgiven over your past and future sins and your present sins. It tells us that you're a new creation, that you're actually being made into someone who is brand new. It says that you're a citizen of heaven. It says that you're salt and light, that you're chosen in love, and ultimately that you're an heir of heaven, that that's where you're going to be, that you're inheriting that when this life is all over. These are all things that are true about you and all things that make our God worthy of praise. And so what has he done in your life? What is it this morning on Palm Sunday in 2021 that you can specifically praise God about? Think about it. Think about it. Answer the question and then give him the praise that he's worthy of. There's another question I think God would ask us today, and it's this. What opportunities to worship have I failed to notice? What opportunities to worship have I failed to notice? Hey, it's a large group of people entering Jerusalem at this time. It wasn't by accident that a lot of people were on the road. In fact, they're all going to celebrate Passover. And I would bet there are a few people in the group that, that, that I could relate to that they think the goal of traveling is to get somewhere. Right? Y'all know what I'm talking about? You're going on vacation, and the goal is not to, a drive, not to enjoy the drive to the destination. The goal is to get to the destination. Right? And to get there as fast as you possibly can. And then there's another set of people in life who are wrong who think you should enjoy the drive. Right? We, we just stop. We stop. We see something interesting. We're just going to stop and we're going to check it out. Or we see a store we've never been in and just pull in that shopping center and let's see, let's see what's happening. Now, generally these two types of people marry each other. And so you got, you got one person that's like, we got to go and we have to get there. You have another person that's saying, hey, let's just stop. If we see something we want to do, let's just stop and do it. And my reaction is always, yeah, but we got to get to where we're going. And the response is usually, but we can't check in now anyway. There's not a certain time that we have to be there. We can do whatever we want to do. And I go, yeah, but I pulled this up on Google Maps and it says that we'll get here at this time. And I guarantee you I can beat that. Right? And so we got to go. We got to go. There's no stopping allowed. We're going to beat this time and we're going to win the game that Google Maps has put in front of us. That, that's what we're going to do. But if you're like that, listen, if we're like that, we miss it. And I think there's a lot of people walking into Jerusalem that day that probably missed an opportunity to worship the one who was about to give their life for them because they were so focused on the destination that they missed the opportunities around them. That they missed it. And it's funny to talk about that when we're traveling. Listen, it's not funny to live that way, though. That we get so focused on other things that don't really matter that we miss opportunities to do the one thing that does, and that's to worship the one who gave his life for us. And so we focus where our focus should be. So what opportunities have you missed? Just today already, getting up, getting ready to come to church, what opportunities have you missed? To worship God this morning. If you're taking notes, jot this down. God never intended for worship to only occur on Sunday. We call them worship services, don't we? That, that, that's what we do. We plan worship services. But the truth of the matter is, you can have a worship service at any point, at any time. That it's not just 
a Sunday event, that it's actually something that should lead up to Sunday. In fact, we should be so ready to worship when we walk into this room because we've been worshiping leading up to this moment that every day there's an occurrence and we're taking time to stop and to worship God for the things that he's done and for what he's shown in our life. There's, there's something else that I believe God would ask us, and it's this. Have I let the opinion of others keep me from freely worshiping? And that's a Sunday question for sure, right? You, you get among a bunch of people, and at times it becomes a little more awkward, and you're like, man, I really want to raise my hand right now, but I don't know what these people are going to think, right? The people behind me, I don't, I don't know what they're going to think. I don't know what my spouse or my kids are going to think if I actually start worshiping right now. Maybe you have pity on the people in front of you, and you're like, if I sing exuberantly, then they're going to hear it. Listen, it's loud in here. They don't, they don't hear you. Go ahead and sing as loud and exuberantly as you want to. It's a Sunday thing for sure, but don't miss it. Don't miss it. Has your thoughts of others kept you from worshiping as you were sitting at a lunch table and God led you to pray over your food? Has your thoughts of others kept you from speaking to your waiter or your waitress about what God has done in your life? Has your thoughts about others kept you from praying before you began a meeting at work because you're worried about what the other people around you are going to think or what they're going to say or what they're going to do? Has your thoughts of others kept you from listening to worship music in your car or in your office? Has your concern about others kept you from inviting that friend that God keeps placing on your heart over and over and over again, you see, worship isn't just something that we do in this room, but it's a lifestyle that we live every day. And so the question is this, what in your life could become an act of worship, but you hadn't done it because you're worried about the opinion of others? And oftentimes we think what they're going to think about us is we, we're just going overboard. right? They, they've taken it too far. Like, I kind of like them. But you know they've taken the religious stuff too far. And they've gone overboard. David, king of Israel, dealt with this. He was recovering the ark and they were bringing it back to the city. And David was leading the processional back in and he began to dance. And obviously he began to dance in a way that got a lot of attention. And so he gets home and his wife begins to attack him, and she goes, I saw you dancing on the way into the city today, and I know you were doing it just so those girls who were in the processional would notice you, right? I know you feel like this is probably not in the Bible, I promise it's there, and so you're just trying to get the attention of other women. And David has a response about becoming foolish before the Lord, and in fact, here's the way it goes. David retorted to Michael, that's his wife, I was dancing before the Lord. Right, This wasn't about anybody else. That worship was not about me. It wasn't about them, but it was about the Lord. And I was dancing before him. Who He gets a little personal. This is bad marriage advice. Don't do this. Who chose me above your father and all of his family. And he appointed me as the leader of Israel, the people of the Lord. So I celebrated. Look again. This is not before the people. I celebrated before who? The Lord. Yes. Here's his response. And I'm willing to look even more foolish than this. 
If you read this in a different version, David looks at his wife and he says, and I'm willing to become even more undignified. In other words, if people look at me because of the way that I worship my God and they go, eh, that's not really the way a person of dignity should worship. He goes, I'm willing to become even more undignified or more foolish and to be even more humiliated in my own eyes. But those servant girls you mentioned will indeed think I am distinguished. This is David going, you know what worship in about you, wife? It's not about the girls that you were talking about. It's not about the people that were marching in the processional. But it's about the one who is being worshipped. That it's about him. And I would say that almost every worship service that you have, whether it be at home, whether it be in your car, whether it be at work, whether it be in this room, should include the things that we just spoke about. That there's an excitement. That there's a thanksgiving. That there's a praise. That there's a response. But it's not about you. It's about the one that we worship. It's about Him. The people worshiping that day didn't really understand what Jesus was about to do. But they did understand that he was a God who was worthy to be worshipped. Because I want you to know that he is still a Lord who is worthy to be worshipped. So what do we do with that? Here's our response to what God has taught us today. So next steps for me and for you. And the first one is this. It's to set aside multiple times this week to worship. Don't wait until you get here Sunday, but set aside time. Maybe you get up early. Maybe you stay up late. Maybe in the middle of the day you listen to a certain type of music. Maybe driving to and from work. You go, you know what, I'm just going to listen to worship music this week on my drive. And that becomes a worship moment for you. But set aside. Don't wait on Sunday. Go ahead now. Plan those out. Set aside multiple times this week to worship. And then our ultimate act of worship for any of us is to trust Jesus alone for our salvation. Jesus is entering the city when this takes place. He's actually going down the Mount of Olives. And where this would have occurred, Jesus would have gotten a glimpse of the city on his way down. But as the worship service or the processional ended, Jesus would have continued around the mountain and he would have came to a point where he could see clearly the entire city and he would see specifically the temple that was meant to represent God's relationship with the nation of Israel. And ultimately, the relationship between God and man. And Jesus stops on the side of the mountain. He's just experienced the worship that he deserves. He stops on the side of the mountain. He overlooks the city. And Scripture tells us that Jesus begins to weep. That tears literally begin to stream down our Savior's face. And he looks over the city and he says, How often I've wanted to draw you to myself. But ultimately, they didn't get it. They didn't get it. Most of the people in that crowd today, throwing down palm leaves and throwing down their cloaks, they didn't get it either. They thought that Jesus came to be their earthly king. And Jesus is saying, I came to make right man's relationship with God. One that was broken from the beginning in the Garden of Eden, the one that sin destroyed 
Jesus says, I came to pay the price for that sin. And in fact, he marches on into the city and he lives out the Holy Week, as we call it. And eventually on Friday, he stretches out his arms and he's nailed to a cross and he pays the price for you and for me. And sin is covered and the relationship between God and man has the ability to be whole again. And so our ultimate act of worship is simply saying, Jesus, I trust in what you've done. I trust that. The fact that you paid the price for my sins, the fact that you've made right my relationship with the Father, and I surrender my life to you. Hey, would you guys bow your heads and close your eyes just a moment? I want to give you a chance to allow God to speak to you. And I want to ask you the most important question of your life. Is that a decision that you've made? Has there been a point in your life where you said, Jesus, I trust what you did? I believe that you gave your life for my sins. And I ask you for forgiveness. If that's not a decision you've ever made, whether you're here in the room or whether... You're watching online. I want to give you a chance to do that. You can say a prayer similar to this one. You don't have to say it out loud. This is a prayer between you and God. You can say, Lord, today I realize my need for you. I admit that I'm a sinner. I believe that you died for my sins. And today I ask you to be my Savior and my Lord. God, I thank you for anyone who just made that decision, who placed their faith in you. I give them the courage to share that, whether that be through a connection card or through a text message or simply with the person next to them. God, I pray that our worship, that journey would always be marked by our love for you. And I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You guys, we're going to continue worshiping today by taking communion. You should have seen the elements as you walked in. Hopefully you grabbed those. If, if you did not and you're a believer, I want to be clear, communion is it's for believers. And so if you're here and you're just checking this out, I would encourage you to, to just watch and think about what God has done for us and things we've talked about today. But if you did not get the elements, if you just lift your hand, our ushers would love to to get those to you. And as they're passing those out, there's another word for praise in the Old Testament that really kind of stands in contrast to everything that we've spoken about this morning. And it's a it's a different kind of worship. And the word that they use, speaking of this, is the word barak, and it means to bless or to kneel down. It's an act of quiet humbleness. And so it's not just about the the lifting of hands or the shouting or the singing of praise, but also worship requires us at times to take moments to simply be quiet and remember what Jesus has done for us. And that's what we do when we take communion. It's not loud. It's not shouting. It's not praising. It's an honoring and it's a humbleness as we remember the fact that Jesus 
died for us. Jesus instituted communion as he was celebrating Passover. And Luke puts it this way. He says, when the hour had came, he reclined at the table and the apostles reclined with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Lord, we do pause today to remember. God, we remember that not only did you do miracles and great things as you walked among us here on this earth, but God, you ultimately gave your life for us. And Lord, you conquered our greatest enemy in death and the grave. And so, Lord, we remember today the sacrifice that you made. Lord, may it be something we never take lightly. But God, remind us that it costs you greatly. Jesus continued, and the passage says, And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, he took it and he said, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Take and drink. Lord, again, we remember that your body was bruised and broken. God, that our eternal life came at a great cost. That, Lord, it was through the shedding of your blood that our sins were covered and we can experience forgiveness. So, Lord, today we give you the praise and the honor and the glory that you deserve. God, I pray for each person in this room, God, that as we walk throughout the rest of our week, that we will search for and discover times to worship you, Lord, whether they be times of humble quietness like this or whether they be times of exciting praise. God, give us the courage, not just to worship in this room, but, Lord, the courage to live lives of worship that lead other people to you and the forgiveness that you offer. Lord, we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen.